Well, church, uh, today we are beginning a message series called A Faithful Husband and a Promiscuous Wife. We're going to take a handful of weeks over the summer, and we are going to begin walking through the book of Hosea systematically. Now, if you are new to the book of Hosea, there are a handful of things that you must know. One is Hosea is a, a prophetic book that was written to the people of Israel to warn them about God's strict judgment. That judgment was indeed coming because they had forsaken him and they had chosen to do other things with other gods and other people and nations around them. Uh, because of that, God would write a strict warning to them, encouraging them not only to repent, but also that judgment was at hand. He would do this through the prophet, uh, the prophet Hosea. And Hosea was the son of Beri, according to Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Now, if you're new to the Old Testament, what you need to know is the Old Testament is made up of 39 books. The first 17 books of your Old Testament are historical. The next five are what we would call poetical. And then the last 17 are what we would call prophetic. Now, out of those 17 prophetic, there were five of those that they wrote uh, lots and lots of information. And because of that, they're called major prophets. And then when we get to Hosea, he's the beginning of 12 prophets that would be called minor prophets. And all of those minor prophets are called minor prophets simply because they didn't write as the length of, say, their counterparts like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or even Lamentations. And so because of that, uh, we have these 12 prophets and Hosea takes the lead. And what's interesting about Hosea, out of all 17 prophets, he's the only one from the north. Now, in order for you to understand what I mean by the north, I think it's important that we back up just a bit. And so as we think about the nation of Israel, what we need to know is that the nation of Israel was God's people. Uh, we remember the nation of Israel because of people like Moses and Abraham and all of the uh, forefathers for the, of the nation of Israel. But what's interesting is, is that na the nation's heyday was really in the days of King David. If you remember, Saul was the king and Saul greatly displeased the Lord and eventually he would replace him with David. And David is the promise of the Messiah. We know that Jesus would become uh, the king through a Davidic line. And so David is the greatest king of Israel, reigned around a thousand years before Christ. And he would have a son called Solomon. Now, what's interesting is I'm going to put a map for you up uh, where you can see the entire kingdom. But in the days of Saul, the kingdom uh, was not as great. And then in the days of David, where they really had their really fruitful and prosperous days, you would see that the kingdom began to grow. And then even more so under his son, Solomon. And so as the kingdom begins to grow under Solomon, uh, God would bless the nation and they would have not only prosperous days, but they would be uh, free from tyranny or any other uh, dominant control within the nation. And they also had protected borders from others around them. And so they had a great life and they were enjoying the favor of God. And then what happened was is Solomon died. 
And when Solomon died, the kingdom fell into his son's hands, a son named Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was the rightful heir to the throne, and he had a handful of youthful friends that would follow him. The problem was that Rehoboam was not real intelligent with the way that he handled the transfer of the kingdom. And because of that, what you would see is an exile and a usurping of the, almost the entire country. Uh, it was led by a revolt at the hands of his brother, Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam would raise up a handful of people to, to follow him, and they would literally begin to exit uh, Judah to the south. Now, Judah is what's referred to Israel. And so in the Old Testament, when you see Israel or Judah, uh, a lot of times what you would think of is kind of down in the south. But then also when the kingdom splits, it, it's kind of confusing. When the kingdom splits and Jeroboam takes 10 tribes with him uh, out of the 12 tribes, Jeroboam is now establishing his kingdom, Many people have exited uh, the hub of Jerusalem, and they have gone with their new king to the north, Jeroboam, while in the south, Rehoboam, the rightful king, continues to reign there. And the country is now divided. And so up to the north, you have a new capital that's going to be eventually built, and it's the capital of Shechem. Later, it would change to the capital of Samaria, but when Jeroboam initially leaves, you've got the capital there uh, in, in Shechem, and then what he does is this. He says, listen, I don't want my people going back to my brother, and I don't want them doing the things that they would encourage them to do. Matter of fact, if they go back towards Jerusalem to worship and to make sacrifices, then they're going to leave me. And if they leave me and they follow my brother, then they're going to come back and they're going to kill me. And so because Jeroboam is paranoid, he decides that he's going to institute new, uh, establish new reforms in the kingdom. And so what he does is, is he does a pattern of what God did for the people of Israel of old. And he says this, we're going to, we're going to establish a new place of worship we're going to also have priests that exercise their authority and they're going to be able to lead in sacrificial systems and we're going to establish in some ways a new religion. And so what he does is he establishes two places uh, up to the north in the place of Dan, he establishes a temple and an altar there. And then down in the south, uh, just above the, the border edge between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, he establishes uh, another place there called Bethel. And what he does is, is he institutes new reforms, those religious reforms that would lead people to make sacrifices, to worship their God. Now, what's ironic is that he takes and he makes two golden calves and he establishes them at both places. He institutes a priesthood with very little um, requirements. Matter of fact, they don't have to be Levites to be priests. Later on, what we would see is it didn't matter who was a priest. If you wanted to be a priest, you could be. And they began to find themselves with idolatrous hearts. And here's what you and I need to know is that when we fall into a place of idolatry, it means that we have taken a person a place or a thing, and we have instituted it to a place where God should be. Now, I don't know about you, but we can do that with many things in our lives. But what we find ourselves oftentimes doing in our own lives is putting things in an improper place. And that's what God would call idolatry. 
If we are to consider Numbers chapter 20, we know that idolatry is the number one sin against God. He forbids anyone being in his place. Matter of fact, one of the reasons he brings such strict judgment to the people of Israel through the prophet Hosea is because he knows there should be nothing else in the world that competes with him for his people's love and affection. And so what we know is, is that uh, he says that, hey, this idolatry is going to be a problem. And here's what I want you to realize is that when our hearts turn towards idolatry, what you need to know is there's something that's always coupled with it. It always follows idolatry, and that is immorality. When you have idolatry, it always leads to immoral living, to living that doesn't honor the Lord, that doesn't glorify him in any way. And that's what the people of the north began to do. And thus God raises up Hosea, the son of Beri, and he says, you are to begin to speak to your people. Now, Hosea is uh, the the only one of those 17 prophets that came from the north. And it's interesting because he's going to begin to proclaim against the kingdoms there. And in his time span, you're going to see Hosea speak to multiple different kings in the north. Matter of fact, what's so interesting about this is that it's difficult to put a date on when he began prophesying. Uh, What we do know is that uh, in in his kingdom that we know that it spans a, a, a time in which we see the kings mentioned throughout scripture. And so in the north, what we know is, is that uh, we had Jeroboam II that was on the throne uh, when, when he b- began his ministry. And Jeroboam uh, was on the throne for uh, some 50 plus years. And he was there between 793 and then eventually died in 753. But after him, a guy named Zechariah would follow him. And then after that, you would see a succession of kings in a very short span in the north, and they were all killing one another to get the throne. And so we had uh, a guy named uh, Shalom, which would actually revolt and uh, overthrow the king, and he only um, reigned for a month because he was then killed and overthrown as well by a guy named Menahem. And Menahem would actually reign on the throne for about 10 years, uh, eventually... uh, replaced and overthrown, or not overthrown, but replaced by his son uh, named Pekahiah. And after Pekahiah, there was another guy named Pekah, which overthrew him. And so you had this turmoil and chaos in the kingdom, eventually led by a guy named Hosea. And Hosea would eventually be captured by Assyria. And all the while, you've got this guy named Hosea who is teaching and preaching to the people of the north. And you know what his message is? His message is, is that there is no rival that compares to God. Matter of fact, here's what's interesting is, is Hosea's name is the same name that was, be, was given to a guy named Joshua in the Old Testament and also the same name given to Yeshua or Jesus in the New Testament. It's the name that's called salvation, my salvation. And so because Hosea's name was my salvation, he was simply proclaiming to the people of Israel how they could have freedom, how they could be free from uh, idolatry and past behaviors and that they could follow the God of their forefathers, Yahweh, the one who wanted to set them free, the one who wanted to give them a path to a restoration. But the problem was they continued in the patterns that their northern kings would lead. And here's what happened. The kingdom went from bad to worse. 
Meanwhile, in the south, it wasn't a whole lot better because the kings that were on the throne there uh, were also in trouble. Matter of fact, uh, Uzziah, the king in the the southern kingdom at the time that Hosea is prophesying, was struck with leprosy. Uh, He was banished to his own little place, and uh, no one would come into his presence. Eventually, Jotham would take the throne from him, and followed by Ahaz, which was a wicked king, eventually falling into the hands of a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was probably the best king uh, in Hosea's time in the south. And he was one who wanted to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Although no other northern or southern king was doing that, it did allow the southern kingdom to have a little bit more time before they were overthrown by any other enemies. But what we do know is this, is that Hosea was warning the people and he was telling them that the kingdom is about to come to an end. What is so I guess, mind-blowing. And what's really challenging about this text is the way that God decided to do that. He told Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to get a wife and I want you to take her. And this wife is going to represent the nation of Israel. Now, there's a lot of debate as people go through the book of Hosea as to whether or not this was an allegory or a metaphor in some way, or if this was a literal event. Matter of fact, it's one of the most debated things about the book of Hosea. Did Hosea take an actual wife or did he just write about a wife? Now, I happen to believe that he actually took a wife who was pure in her, her youth, and then eventually after having children with her, you would see her leave her husband, whom uh, was the husband of her youth, and she no longer was faithful to him. Hosea outlines this in Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, and this is what he says. Now, when the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, what we see here is that Hosea goes and he takes a wife, and I happen to believe that he took one and whom was faithful to him, but eventually would go astray, that she would become a promiscuous wife, leaving the faithful husband of her youth. And because of that, what you see is the character of God displayed through the prophet Hosea. Not only do you see the character of God and his patience towards Israel, but you also see the character portrayed of God displayed played through his servant, Hosea. And Hosea uh, is going to begin to show his faithfulness throughout the entire book. 14 chapters in length, you're going to see it uh, establish itself as an outline of God and his plan towards the people of Israel. Now, again, if you remind yourself, the the people of Israel, 12 tribes split in half at this point, 10 to the north, 2 to the south. What we do realize is that God has a message for the north. He is primarily speaking to them and their kings, and he is encouraging them to repent. The problem is, and history would tell us, that the people of Israel would not repent. As we go through the book of Hosea, you'll also occasionally see them referred to as Ephraim. Ephraim was the largest tribe in the nation of Israel, and they led a large degree of what was happening in that country. But God is relentless in his pursuit of them. And yet what you'll see is time and time and time again, the people of Israel would choose their own way. They would give in to the idolatry that was around them and it would lead to a great degree of immorality. 
And so as we think through the book of Hosea, here's a couple of things that I want you to encourage to think through. And that's just simply an outline of Hosea. Uh, The outline just kind of goes like this. Uh, One, you see the faithful husband and the promiscuous wife in chapters one, uh, all the way uh, through really chapters two and three. Then what happens is, is you see the promiscuous nation and how uh, it is called by a faithful God. And you're going to see that from chapters 4 through 14. And so as we dive into the next handful of weeks, we're going to begin with a faithful husband, Hosea as the example, and his wife, Gomer, and all that she's done to run from him. And then eventually we're going to see how that parallels and ties into the people of Israel and what God is encouraging them to do. That begins in chapter 4 and goes all the way through 14. But in that time, what you're going to see in chapter 4, really through chapter 6, is Israel's infidelity. You're going to see them forsaking God to follow after a different love. Gods of bells and other promiscuous behavior that leads them towards immoral living. Then when you get to the middle part of uh, Hosea in chapter 6, verse 4, all the way through chapter 10, and really all the way... Uh, through that, you're going to see the punishment that God gives Israel. He's going to outline consequences for them because of their patterns of infidelity towards him. And then when you get to chapter 11, all the way through chapter 14, you're going to see God's faithful love. He still has a plan for this nation. He still believes that this nation is the apple of his eye. He still delights in her and he still wants her to come back to him. And we're going to see how God outlines all of that in front of the people of Israel and how we can learn and apply things in our own lives. So church, I would encourage you to do a handful of things. One, if you're joining us this morning, I encourage you to grab your Bibles this week. And I want you to join us in walking through 14 chapters of Hosea. Now, for some of you, uh, you are already overwhelmed by studying your Bible. You would say, I want to, I have an inkling of a desire to, but I don't know where to begin. I just don't know how to start. And when I read the Bible, I don't understand it. It's difficult for me to apply. It's really challenging for me. And And I just find myself having a desire to do it, but not being able to carry it out. You also might even say, I, I really just, I don't have the time. I, like I struggle to find time to do it. And maybe you're a, a mom in this season or you're a dad and uh, you're just, time is of the essence. And right now you're struggling uh, to know how to get kids out of bed and to, to get them adjusted to all that's going on. Meanwhile, you've got a grass that's growing because of the recent rain. You know, it's got to be cut. You've got a job that's demanding. And you just look at your schedule and you say, there's no way. I, I just, I want to study the Bible, but I just don't have time. And here's what I would just tell all of you. Listen, one is we're going to give you tools to help you understand it. And two, we're going to help connect you to the God of the Bible through resources. And so there's no reason for you and I not to lean in in the next 14 to 16 weeks and begin discovering who God is and what he desires for us to see throughout the scriptures. Meanwhile, what our staff is going to be doing is they're going to be writing devotionals three days a week to encourage us and to remind us of God's faithfulness and to help point us towards the scriptures. We're not only going to just provide uh, the, the text, we're also going to provide the application of the text so that you can read it, examine it, and then we're going to put some questions at the bottom of it that allow you to kind of think on it, ponder on it, and begin to apply it in your life. And so here's what I'm asking. As we go through a trek this summer, 
I'm going to encourage you to join me as we look at the prophet Hosea. I pray that you will lean in with us, that you'll join us in this time of studying God's word, understanding the entire context of what's happening in Hosea, because it will show us our entire Bible. And as we think through that and learn from it, I pray that God grows us as a church. Friends, we're great, grateful that you're joining us. I pray that today is a blessing to you. And I pray that as you prepare to get your Bible, that you'll follow up on a couple of quick steps. Number one is, if you are not currently getting our Bible studies to your email, then this is the time to go sign up for it. All you have to do is go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews. All lowercase, stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews. Sign up. It'll take you about 10 seconds. If you don't want a bunch of stuff bombarding your email, then here's all you got to do is go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash Hosea. The page is up and online already. There's a handful of background information and some resources there. And guess what? This Tuesday morning, you'll have your first devotional that'll hit your inbox. When it hits your inbox, begin studying and applying it. Read, examine, allow God to teach you. And next week when we join, we're going to discuss chapter one in detail, and we're going to build on everything that you've learned this week. We love you, church. We're gonna sing together. Before we do so, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the prophet Hosea. Father, we pray that as he was an example of your faithfulness to a nation that was doing deplorable things, Father, I pray that we would be an example to a nation that's been involved in many deplorable things. Father, I pray that as you look at Hosea and his faithfulness, Lord, not only to the wife of his youth in the midst of her infidelity, Father, I pray that we would be the examples of blamelessness, of purity, and of steadfastness that you called Hosea to. Father, I pray that as he was a voice in the darkness, I pray we would be a voice in the darkness. Father, I pray that you would help us, grow us, give us courage, give us wisdom, give us strength. And I pray if nothing else happens from all of this, I pray that the people of Stone Point Church, the family and the friends that go here, that call this place home, I pray we will have a newfound love for your word. I pray that we'll delight in it, that we'll meditate on it, and that it'll change our hearts and our lives. Father, we thank you. And we love you and we proclaim your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.